Hello, everybody. Hey, I'm Matt. I'm Zach. And this is MZ Car Guys Podcast. You can still find us on all the social media at MZ Car Guys. Still, that's amazing. And you can even drop us a line at mzcarguys at gmail.com if you so choose. Uh, please choose that. Uh, Matt, I think let's. I think we need to get, to get to the heart of the matter. The uh, suck, squeeze, bang, blow. Wow, there's a joke there. Leaving that one alone. Yes, Matt. Um, we are talking about the internal combustion engine. Um, I uh, remember hearing one time a funny thing where somebody says uh, they were asking him about, you know, what kind of you know, religion do you have and stuff? And he says, I, I worship at uh, Our Lady of the Internal Combustion. So that's, that's kind of clever. <clears throat> yeah. Anyways, yes, we're talking about the, the internal combustion engine, uh, the thing that makes everything basically function and go unless it's electric. Um, yeah, when, so when it comes to well, I mean, I, I, I have a, a saying or a, a kind of a thought, and that is that the world as we know it began as steam, but truly became what we know it today through the internal combustion engine. Oh, yeah, completely. Um, I mean, because, you know, you, you have <clears throat> steam really kind of started the idea of a self-contained powering apparatus that could drive a shaft. Um, and then from there, that there's a joke. Shaft, in <laughs> there is. But um, but but through that rotating shaft, you can then attach it to things to make things move. Which eventually uh, goes to a wheel, which makes something move in a forward direction. Hopefully most of the time. Yeah. But the internal combustion engine kind of took that idea um, and allowed, you know, because even on automobiles, you know, just the, the, the sheer size of, you know, steam, um, you know, steam vehicles or steam engines, you know, just made downsizing somewhat impractical um yeah but but using the internal combustion engine um it was just easy you know especially with the vast amounts of dead dino juice that you can get a hold of um and and other things also you know like um using uh hydrogen as an as a combustion using um you know, natural, uh, natural gas. gas as a combustion, um, so forth and so on. But getting back to uh, to Matt's thing, um, you know, the traditionally the our understanding of the internal combustion engine is suck, squeeze, pop, blow. Uh, that's how the engine goes. Um, basically, it it's a it's what we understand as the four stroke. Or also the auto cycle, O T T O. Um, so, Mister Auto, whoever he was, <laughs> Nikolaus Auto, <laughs> uh, who was working with uh, Gottlieb Daimler, uh, Daimler and Wilhelm Maybach, um, you know, basically put it all together and stuff like that. Um, you know, Carl Benz patented. The two-stroke engine, and then of course uh, we'll get to Rudolf Diesel, uh, who uh, developed uh, the first compression ignition um, engine. So as opposed to a spark ignited ignition and stuff like that, and then of course good old Felix Felix Winkle, probably the best name in all of automotive history. So you know so. Monty Python even has a joke involving Mr. Wankel, believe it or not, because they're British. Well, uh, I'm, this, this, this is my shock face. <laughs> so, 
so let's just get right into it, right? Because we've we've we're kind of dancing around it a bit, right? So so the here's the basics of it is a little bit of gasoline goes into the chamber, a lot of air goes into the chamber, fire happens due to something or another, which causes an explosion. That explosion causes a piston or a cylindrical chunk of metal essentially that's attached to an arm to move and eventually that arm turns a shaft which turns the wheels basically um that is as basically as you get yeah so <laughs> the important part about that is a little bit of gasoline and a lot of air because people always forget that they always think about burning gasoline as making combustion but it's not it's a little no. bit of gasoline and a lot of air and it's uh, between yeah, 13 13 to 1 and 14 to 1 is the typical ratio in terms of gas to air. Or air yeah, air. well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're not, you're technically not burning gasoline, you're burning air. It's just using the, it's using the combustible fuel as, uh, as an, uh, um, so gasoline vapor becomes part of the fuel source, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, um, it's it's a way of controlling the the explosion. It's a right. way of causing the air to burn and so forth. Right. The, so. the metering of the gasoline is what controls the amount of the explosion, which causes which prevents the engine from say melting or blowing up or you know things you generally don't want don't want to happen. So that's that's kind of how this whole thing sort of started and then it was okay now we can do this and then how do we make it more efficient and how do we make it better and how do we get more power more power um and you know when you start out with things like cast iron and eventually move into things like aluminum and magnesium and magnesium which has a tendency to catch on fire if you're not careful um but it gets really like we could honestly take the internal combustion engine and if we really wanted to which i'm kind of tempted to actually do a four or five part series on it at an hour apiece especially uh, once yeah. you, no we, we really could especially if you get into the yeah. minutia of things like the fact that uh people have determined that in wankel engines that a that uh two-stroke oil mixed in the gasoline helps it work more efficiently and prevents wear in the internal engine parts, things like free valve, uh, things like a variable compression timing, I'm oh, sorry, variable compression, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I, we need to just cover the basics today because it gets real complicated real quick. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. So essentially you have just to give kind of a nice little roundness to it. Um, Starting in the the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, you had basically people just trying to figure out um, what the most efficient way of moving an internal combustion engine, having it work and so forth. Um, and it was really kind it, – it's very, very difficult um, because so many things – have to be correct you have to have the explosion at the exact point um you know and in, in the in the overall in the overall uh cycle of what am i trying to say um the cycle of the piston so you can't have it you can't have it explode you can't have the flame wave beginning before the piston reaches top dead center. Wait, also known as the highest point of the piston within the cylinder, just to be clear. Yeah. So, so top dead center, which is the highest point of the piston. Um, if you, if you start the flame wave too soon, then all of your power is basically, nullified by the piston rising but if you time it correctly you're going to get that explosion being able to push it down so there's what's called a power stroke and that pushes the the piston down and if you can time it correctly you can push all of that down but then you know especially with old carburetors my gosh carburetors are just a you know, a, a 
a mess. A miracle, yeah, well, a miracle in themselves and how they function and work and so forth. And I've rebuilt a carburetor. There's a lot of little itty bitty parts and stuff like that. And, and, you know, and the fact that, you know, over a hundred years that develops, um, finally developed into with modern technology developed into fuel injection. Um, but I mean, you had engines were so inefficient, um, in the, in the, in the, in the teens, and the early 20s, I mean, you had people that had like 27 liter engines. Yeah. <laughs> that put out 250 horsepower. Right. Which, I, which I, I get that out of my, well, I get that out of my 2.0 liter Honda Accord. <laughs> well, turbo, yes. So, well, I, the turbo, turbo part is important, but yeah, but naturally aspirated, that's that's a small displacement V six, which is still, you know, yeah, it's, it's a sub three liter naturally aspirated V six these days for two hundred and fifty horsepower. Well, so, I mean, the, I mean, forget, the, forget the, turbos, turbos are holding well, on themselves. Well, the three point, yeah, we'll get that in a second, but the three point five liter V six for Toyota is what three oh three hundred one, three three oh one and up. Yeah, so there you go, and that's and that that's naturally aspirated. So, right. yeah. And for the for the ten people out there who don't know, naturally aspirated means no turbo, no supercharger. It's just yeah. the air being fed from the atmosphere into the combustion chamber. It breathes on its own. Yep, which has advantages and disadvantages, which we all get to at some point. So yeah, I mean it's, but. I, I guess, you know, kind of just getting into the minutia of it, um, of the, of just the development of it. I mean, and, and I, I think we can, we can skip over stuff like the two cycle, um, which really isn't our jam for the most part. Um, you mean, you know, two, off, two stroke. Yeah. Two stroke, two cycle, same thing. Um, but uh, it's, you know, I mean, there were some cars with that, but not, too many um it's mainly it's just because right primarily a boat engine well boat engine um a lot of motorcycles have it um especially like off-roading motorcycles and stuff um but it 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 goes two stroke um primarily uses rpm um as as its power source as opposed to actual like like because it doesn't really, it's it's power stroke, and exhaust stroke are the same stroke. So you have your no, sorry, yeah, yeah, your your um, well, no, no, sorry, your 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 intake stroke, your intake stroke and your um, and your hold on i'm going to get this right your intake stroke and your compression stroke are the same stroke and your exhaust stroke and power stroke are the same stroke so you do lose a lot of efficiency with that but you can you can increase the rpms significantly so you're able to get you know the the that way um, but i think we can just kind of stick to you know the the traditional four stroke uh, or the auto cycle. Um, I love uh, being able to say, oh, you mean the auto cycle? And they're like, uh, no, a four-stroke. I'm like, yeah, auto cycle. <laughs> well, the Atkinson cycle is a four-stroke too, and so is the Miller cycle. But that's neither here nor there at this point. But those are like modifications of, of those. Right. But it is, it's, so. yes, those are all four-strokes, but differently named because different engineers decided they would produce different results in terms of power versus efficiency yeah. that's all yeah but we'll see, I, mean, I mean it's a lot like saying you know um a microsoft based computer versus a uh an, an an app an apple based computer they're still computers it's just two different ways of doing the same thing yes so Go ahead. anyways but yeah i mean it's just over the over the years, um, being able to kind of 
being able to make them much more efficient um, in, in turn, what's called uh, the, their thermal efficiency. Thermal efficiency is basically their, the, the ability to harness, you know, how, how much power can you get out of a single explosion inside the engine? So being able to convert that explosion into actual physical energy um, is called thermal efficiency. I mean, thermal efficiency was ridiculously low um, in the early days, um, as you know, as as we were saying, you know, as we were saying and so forth. But it's uh, it's interesting um, how we've tried to find a lot of other things to have as a fuel source. And unfortunately we keep coming back to gasoline as, as a fuel source um, just because of the fact that it is, it's energy potential is so much greater than almost everything else. I mean, we haven't found a fuel with as much energy density um, other than I think like nitromethane, but that's ridiculously dangerous to use. Um, right. right. And, and, and expensive. So let's be clear on that too. This is, it's cost energy oh. density. Right. And yeah. efficiency. Those are all, all three of those things are very important, right? I mean, if gasoline went to 20 bucks a gallon, we'd have a whole different set of priorities. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, let's, let's put it this way. At the turn of the century, they were using gasoline to melt ice. They just poured it on the roads to melt the ice. Um, wow. Because they, because they couldn't find any other use for it. In all honesty, I mean, they, they, they just couldn't <laughs> find another use for it. There's a, there's, there's a version of gasoline um, that they used to use as embalming fluid, which is what Carl Benz used as his um, as 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 his fuel source. I mean, it's you know, but then again, in the state of Maine, they used to feed lobster, which was so prevalent uh, to prisoners to the point of where they just started complaining about having to eat lobster. And now you'll go and spend what twenty five bucks on a tail of lobster, oh, at least, yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah. but yeah, but I mean, and and I think it's I think it's important because even though we are making the move over into um, over into electrification, um, and 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 I think that there is something to be said for. Um, the the move into electric cars, um, I have evolved in this subject over the last several years. Matt knows this probably better than most people because the advancements in technology have increased so ridiculously fast when it when it when it comes to electric motors. But the one thing that they haven't been able to get around is it's just the battery technology has not advanced nearly as quick as we would hope. And you still have a huge amount of weight, um, huge amount of store of, of size. I mean, I, I've, I saw a picture of the, uh, of the skateboard of uh, the Rivian uh, R1T, their truck. Um, I think it's just massive. Oh, it's got to be absolutely massive, um, and you have, you know, I mean, and, and internal combustion engines are they're they're compact. They can be very compact. Um, they can be shaped in just about any way you can think of. Um, and you can use almost anything as um, as a fuel source, pretty much. I mean, if it can be 
a combustible fuel source, um, it, right. it, it can be used in an internal combustion engine. Um, there was right. a... Uh, just going to say that real quickly, you, you have to redesign the engine based upon the fuel source. You can't just pump natural gas into a gasoline engine. You can't just punch, pump kerosene into whatever you want. But yes, as long as you design it correctly, you can make it worse than almost, work on almost any liquid that burns. Yeah, well, some of it has like um, one of the things that they did during World War Two, I believe, either two or one. I think it was two. Um, is they were able to use uh, what's called a wood gasifier. Um, and basically it's a way of taking uh, and burning wood in a low oxygen environment and then using the, the very thick, acrid smoke from that um, as a fuel source because wow. it's, it's so carbon rich. Um, and, oh, yeah. and it's got lots of other, you know, combustible kind of stuff in it. And you're basically using that as your fuel source. Um, it's extremely inefficient and your engine will have about a third of the horsepower that it normally would have. Um, and I think you have to use it on diesels. Diesels Probably. are very, very cool in the fact that because with, with an internal combustion, with a, with a gasoline engine or a spark ignition engine, um, you have to have, you have to match your fuel source to your, uh, to your spark plug. Your spark plug right. has to be able to burn hot enough. It has to be able to uh, have the, uh, the, 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 what's called the flame kernel start at the right spot for your fuel source to match it and everything like that. And a diesel just don't give a damn. <laughs> no, it's really, it's really true. It's funny too because when you just the wood gas fire you just explained, that's how charcoal briquettes are made. So the solid part of that process is what makes charcoal briquettes. Yeah, so essentially that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're basically yeah, but, like dusting charcoal is. Yeah, yeah. But, charcoal but like, and gas tape. but but there's there's a reason that say. When they talk about biofuels, when they actually mean biodiesel, there's a reason they're saying that is because you need to have a diesel engine to run biofuel, to run what essentially amounts to filtered cooking oil. You have to have a diesel engine because it's just not going to work on a on a spark engine, on a gasoline style engine. Doesn't work. Like I had a I had a friend of mine, um, well a guy a guy that I knew in high school. His dad had, it was the first time I was introduced to this. His dad had um, an early 80s uh, Mercedes 300 diesel or 300D. Oh, great cars. And, oh my gosh, absolute tanks. Those things would go forever. And basically he would, uh, he, they owned a restaurant. And actually he, he still owns a restaurant to this day. But they, they owned a family restaurant and they did a lot of frying and he would, and his dad would reuse all of the, uh, all the leftover fry oil and burn that um, and had some kind of heating element in the, uh, in the gas tank so that, you know, when it, when it got a little cooler, but then again, I grew up in central Florida, so it never really got that cold. Um, and I just remembered every time he came to pick him up from school or every time that he would drive by or whatever, um, it smelled like French fries. <laughs> yeah. 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 My dad told me one time he was on a road trip and all of a sudden he's like, he's going uphill. And he's like, what is that weird, sweet smell? What's, what's wrong with the engine in the car? And then it keeps going on and on. And he's like, there's something there must be wrong with this car that he's you know this minivan he's driving and uh all of a sudden this mercedes diesel comes by and they had reconfigured the chrome letters on the on the trunk to read biodiesel and he went oh french fries that's it got it <laughs> yeah but yeah but yeah basically all you need is a warmer in the fuel tank something really basic that keeps everything from congealing essentially and a special kind of fuel filter to make sure none of the crud gets through and you can run biodiesel and just like you said, French fry oil. It's 
it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you still do have some, you know, some emissions of some kind. Well, of course. Um, the biggest problem is is that the we're we're so we're so concerned about particular, you know, our particulate matter that comes out of diesel uh, exhaust, uh, whether or not it's good or whatever, um, and the the problem with it is that it's limited it's limited us in what we're able to use as biodiesel yeah it makes sense so you know it's it's kind of a you know just you know can we find something well can we find something that is renewable as far as like 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 a biodiesel fuel and the answer is yes You, you can actually uh use uh algae as a as a biodiesel um but it you know will it actually be able to pass emissions laws and stuff like that um i I don't know so well right right it's it's so i mean the gist of it is that alternative fuel sources are not perfect basically you know that's 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 important you know, and, and, you know, and there's, and Toyota and Honda, for example, are both betting pretty heavily on hydrogen with uh, the Mirai and the, the Clary hydrogen uh, fuel cell vehicle. But good luck finding a filling station, even in California. We live in the, in the Bay Area, sort of. And I, I don't even know where the nearest station is from where, from my house. I couldn't tell you. Uh, from your house, it's actually in Berkeley. Shock. Okay. I know. I know. Which is give or take 10, 20 miles away, something like that. So it's not yeah. exactly convenient. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, you know, from, from my house on the north end of the bay, um, I'm probably the same distance between the one in Berkeley and the one in uh, San Ramon. And so, uh, but yeah, and there's, there's only like seven. Seven. Right, and you make a really good point. The one in Berkeley, the one in this other town, right? It's it's not exactly. like it's the fact that there's. I mean, my my town has twenty thousand people, and we got two Chevron stations. <laughs> Forget the other gas companies. <laughs> you know, yeah. so. Well, and the other problem with hydrogen is hydrogen. Um, it's it. it it's a lot like Miley Cyrus. It likes being attached to things. Um, and it doesn't really care what it is. Um, mm-hmm. So the problem is, 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 it's, is, is it's separating the hydrogen from whatever it's attached to. Um, Do you by chance have, have uh, more than one daughter between the ages of 10 and 18? Uh, yes, yes, I do. Why do you ask? Oh, no reason. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. Just be glad your daughters didn't grow up with Hannah Montana, or your daughter. Uh, I used to think that was her real name. Yes. Anyway, um, so yeah, so combustion. Um, okay. Well, I guess maybe is I guess maybe now's the time to go ahead and start the deep dive, right? Because this is sort of where we are in this point in the podcast. Yeah. So well, where do we want to go? Well, okay. So I think the important thing is to talk a little bit more about carburation versus direct, versus, sorry, versus fuel injection. Okay. Well, that's I mean, kind that's of an easy one. Historically start there. And you're the expert on this because I'm much better at things that have happened in the last 10 years. Yeah. I'm much more old school kind of guy. And mm-hmm. I've actually rebuilt a carburetor and adjusted a carburetor. I've so basically <laughs> I've seen one, I think. Um, <laughs> So basically, um, you you have to, you cannot just burn air. You can't just set a spark and burn air. Um, it even even something as hot as a lightning bolt cannot set air on fire. That's a really good point. Because because I mean it it can it can it can burn the air immediately around it but it cannot actually just set it all on fire. And right. that's truly what you need to have happen. 
So with um, a catalyst, thank you, that is the word I was looking for earlier, you have to use some kind of catalyst to mix in with the air. Um, and, the, and, the, and the more the more you can mix it on a, um, on a molecular level, on an atomic level even more so, um, the better you're going to get uh, a burn you know, of, of the air. The more, you're, the more efficiently you're going to be able to burn the air. And the more you can burn that air, the more efficiently you can burn that, the more power you're able to get from that explosion. You know, let's not even go into yet the actual physical, the physical mechanism of capturing that engine. You have to first successfully mix that air to fuel ratio. Right. Um, and so with a, uh, with a carburetor, what you have to do is, is you have to, one, you have to have a large fuel tank. Um, and you don't necessarily want that directly on top of the engine, even though that's originally how Carl Benz designed it, is he had just the fuel tank sitting directly on top of the engine, and it basically just gravity-fed down through whatever carburation he had. Um, but eventually you had to have a fuel pump that pumped fuel up into a uh, what was called the bowl. And the bowl was basically just kind of like a, a small... Think of it as like a small gas tank on the carburetor itself. Um, and then you had a little metering valve, which kind of a fed fuel, you know, at a, at a certain rate, metered, at a metered rate, um, into what was called the Venturi. And the Venturi is basically um, what would cause the air, it would kind of drip the fuel out at a metered rate into the airstream, sucking air through, and air was flowing pretty fast. It, it would have the Venturi effect where it would accelerate the airflow into the uh, intake system, and you would have the, the, the fuel dripping, essentially, um, into that ex into that in. Uh, that intake airstream the air would then tumble in the intake system and would be able to um, kind of mix itself together or atomize um, so get mixed at an, at an atomic level and then tumble into uh, into the intake uh, uh, yeah in through the intake valve into the combustion chamber to be burned so different carburetors did it different ways. Um, originally, all you had was is you had just basically just a, 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 a butterfly valve. So, so just like, like a little flap, if you will, that would open up and you could, you could keep, um, you know, the, the, the more open it was, the more, it was going to suck air into it and the air would basically just kind of pull on the, the carburetor to go through it. Well, the problem with a carburetor is that you have to constantly adjust it throughout the year. So like if it's the summertime, you need to, um, you need to add a little bit more fuel to your air fuel mixture. Wait, hold on. Yes, that's right. I think that's yeah, yeah. So you need because, to add a little because, bit because the air is not as dense. Oh wait, no, the air is not yeah, as dense. So you need, it's, it's, need it's, to re reduce yeah. fuel. Reduce yeah, fuel. yeah, it's yeah, it, yeah. It's the opposite. So you so you have to lean it out, lean out the mixture a little bit, or make it less. Uh, you know, you have to less gas. Um, right. In the because, summertime, because the hum, hot summer air is less dense, therefore you need to make sure the ratio is still your thirteen to one, fourteen to one golden ratio exactly right yeah um and so then in the in the um then in the winter time you need to set it up for uh more fuel so to be a little bit 
more rich. You need to richen it up a little bit because the air is much more dense. So therefore you have to add it. Um, the, the easiest way to do this was usually in the spring and in the fall. So if you set it up in the springtime for to run a little bit leaner as the temperature was getting hotter, that would carry you all the way throughout up into the fall. And then in the, in the later fall, which is like what we're at now, um, <clears throat> or sorry, yeah, so probably round about like Halloween, um, you would want to now start to set it up for like more of a wintertime kind of setup. Um, but once again, that's six months of inefficiency right. because like, you know, um, in California today, it was a nice 80 degrees where I lived. Well, yesterday it was a hundred. So if I had had a carbureted engine, that would have been an absolute nightmare because I would either have been too, uh, you know, too rich or too much fuel yesterday, or I would have had too little fuel or too lean today. Right. Yeah. Because of the air fuel difference and stuff. So, um, you know, uh, Rochester tried, you know, the company Rochester, which is one of the, the big, uh, uh, big companies that, that make uh, carburetors or made carburetors for um, main, you know, manufacturers and stuff, mostly General Motors. Um, they did, they came out with during the, I think, late 60s, early 70s, especially in the early 70s with um, you know, what we call the, the dark days um, with, uh, with emissions and all of that type of stuff. They had what's called me, um, electric metering valves. So, you know, the, the precursor to full on, you know, fuel injection for the most part. Um, but now that we have digital computers and so forth um, and we can have a, a huge variety of different sensors throughout the engine to monitor what it's doing um, and monitor the air that's coming in, monitor, um, you know, through knock sensors that can kind of see, um, you know, are we, you know, how are, how's the vibration of the engine? It can read that to understand um, when the air is, um, when exactly the air is combusting inside of the, of, you know, inside of the, the, uh, the, the, the intake chamber um, or the combustion chamber. And it can, it can adjust the timing of, of everything, you know, to, accordingly. Um, and now you have, you know, uh, like Matt mentioned to it before, the, now that the free valve from Koenigsegg, where you've taken away this mechanical, uh, this mechanical thing called the crank, you know, the camshaft, you've taken that out. And now every single valve is, um, it, it's pneumatic. So it's done by air uh, to, but you can adjust the opening, the closing, the duration, um, and okay. also how and, and yeah, and also how far into, you know, what's known as lift, um, you know, how far, you know, how, how open the valve gets going into the engine. And you can be so specific with that. You can adjust individual valves depending on what each and every single cylinder is doing. Yeah, so it, it's, it's so much more efficient. So real, real quick, it's a, so the combustion chamber is the same thing as the engine cylinder. So the combustion chamber is everything that happens between the base of the cylinder and the top of the piston. So the, the, in, the head, the inside top of the piston, that's the combustion chamber. So in, you're trying to visualize this because we don't have like engineering explains whiteboard to help you with this kind of thing. Um, well, the combustion chamber, to, to, to be more exact, the combustion chamber 
isn't the full cylinder. The full cylinder is no, the, I mean, is, the cylinder, yeah, below the below the piston head. Yeah, well, the the cylinder is everything from below the the actual cylinder head itself. So so it's everything within the block. So it's the actual it's the actual the cylinder is the the space that the piston rides up and down in. The combustion chamber itself is from the top of the piston at whatever at wherever it decides that it needs to do the you know if it's like you know four degrees before top dead center or where, wherever it decides to to start the ignition actual point mm-hmm. and and the 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 dished out the yeah the dished out part of the underside of the cylinder head all of that is technically the combustion chamber so the yeah. actual space where the explosion happens right. which is not the full cylinder right no we're, we're saying the same thing differently so um, yeah. just just to be clear about that so the other thing that's that's going on that's really cool now um, to, so what used to be cutting edge especially in race cars was called individual throttle bodies where you had basically butterfly valve which which in most cases is a circular piece of metal with a rod stuck through the middle of it that's controlled by a cable or a motor that allows it to open and close right so anyway it, that has now mostly been replaced by a computer system that individually checks each chamber for how well it's dealing with the, like like Zach was saying about the detonation, but the fact that they can do it individually so they can control the flow of air and fuel to each cylinder and make sure each yeah. one is up at maximum efficiency every single time. Because, in, you know, if that cylinder explodes thousands of times a minute, I'm not off, am I? I mean, that's reasonable. A thousand times a minute, potentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's so that's that's a lot, a lot of work. If you can get that right, that can be an extra five, ten, twenty horsepower. Who knows? I mean, it's it's a it it can be a big number. So it's a really big. Plus, it's lower emissions, better gas mileage, and so on and so forth. So, um, BC Moto, uh, sorry, BC Azurioja was on um, Jay Leno's garage recently, and he was talking about he's got this 1975 Porsche Carrera, makes 850 horsepower at the wheels, and he's got individual sensors on every one of his six cylinders that, among other things, control detonation, knock, airflow, temperature controls, you name it. Yeah. And then... Part of it is everyone wants to say, okay, well, why don't you just add more air and add less fuel? And that'll make the car more efficient, right? And it will. The problem is, the dirty little secret is gasoline cools the cylinder wall and and heat is the enemy of efficiency. So if you get too little gas, you actually end up shooting yourself in the foot (laughs) because if the cylinder wall can't stay cool, you're not going to be efficient anyway because heat's, there's going to be too much heat everywhere. It's going to cause cooling problems. The motor's going to have to work harder and so on and so forth, which causes it to use more gas, among other things. And it's, well, it's, also, it's right. also one of the reasons why they do, um, they do in NASCAR, they now, I mean, now that they've gone to fuel injection, it doesn't really matter as much. But when they ran carbureted engines, you ran faster at Daytona, at the Daytona 500, which happens in February, than you did at the what was called the you know, the Firecracker Firecracker 400, uh, which was the July race at Daytona. Right, because and the denser air and the and the humidity. Exactly. Yeah, so. it's, it's and and when did they switch? When did when did NASCAR, the most archaic ma- major car series in the world, go from carburetion to fuel injection last year? Um, well, I wouldn't say they're the most archaic, but um, I would. It was it was like oh five. I know because you said it. Um, yeah, it was like oh yeah. five. Yeah, because you're okay. also a star. right and <laughs> fair and uh, and when did. When would you say in general sort of cars sold in America in general kind of went from carburetion to, to fuel injection? Well, everything I think finally made 
the complete switch over to fuel injection, um, including trucks and everything, um, probably around 1991. Okay. 1990, 1991. Okay. So would you say it's fair that the process so has started? By about 10, 10 to 15 years it took NASCAR okay. to do that. So, so it's fair to say that from the time the fuel injection started in America, it was almost 20 years before NASCAR finally caught up. Yeah, but do you know why? Because the teams were no, no. So, so the the teams teams were resistant to the change. The teams themselves. No, no, no. So the teams, the the teams and the engine builders and all of those, they had been screaming to switch over to fuel injection for many, 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 many years. That makes sense. They they well because they could get more power out of the engines. Right problem was is that nascar was actively trying to slow everything down and with a um and and if they could have what was called restrictor plates which Mm -hmm. was just this plate with a very very small holes you know bolted underneath the carburetor they could control that much than they could control um a similar thing with fuel injection because with fuel injection, if you, if you, okay, let's, let's restrict the inflow. Okay. Well, let's just do some calculations to increase the, increase the, um, you know, the air to fuel ratio or whatever, make it whatever we need it to be. It's to, to get that power back. And NASCAR didn't want to do that. They're like, no, 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 we need to restrict because we need to slow these cars down. Because which, which, they to be fair, they need to be slowed down. That was getting ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Well, you had Bill Elliott and Bill Elliott in nineteen eighty six did a uh, a lap, um, a, a qualifying lap that still holds the record to this day, and a qualifying lap at uh, I think it was Talladega at two hundred and twelve miles an hour. That was his average speed of the of the entire qualifying lap, wow. two hundred and twelve, and it absolutely scared NASCAR to no end. It freaked them out. And then in the mid nineties, they did. Uh, I think it was Jeff Gordon got into it, or they they got Jeff Gordon to do it. But they actually did an experiment, or not an experiment, but basically like a test where they took a regularly built NASCAR um, that was one of his and they took it to Talladega and they said, okay, we're going to have you go without the restrictor plate and the engine at its full capacity. I mean, these engines at full capacity are 850 horsepower. And this was back in the mid nineties. And so he just sent them out and Jeff Gordon said, it's almost undrivable. Wow. It's so powerful. It's almost undrivable. So they finally got to the point of where, okay, now we can, now we have the ability to go in and, um, and dictate the actual programming of the fuel injection to limit everything. Plus they had after, of course, the death of Dale Earnhardt senior, um, they went through and did the safer barriers and and all of this other stuff that actually increased the safety if it did crash. And so it, they, they were both able to maintain the restriction on the engine's horsepower and so forth. um, And also make the track safer, but yeah, but that's the reason why they didn't go to fuel injection or else they would have gone to fuel injection in the early nineties. Easily. So, so basically, what you're saying is that the software finally caught up to the hardware. Essentially, yeah, because those engines, I mean, they were they were pumping out. Like I said, I mean, in the in the mid '90s, they were they were those those engines were pumping out 850 horsepower, easily. Yeah, that's that's a big big number, um, right? And of course, you know, what's 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 that phrase you keep using? There's no replacement for. There's no replacement for displacement. Oh, that's the one, right? Yeah, no replacement for displacement. So basically, the NASCAR teams wouldn't agree to lower the displacement of the engine, which was a major source of their power. So, yeah, basically. So, 
you know, they're still using a four-speed stick shift, but. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's that's also that's that's also dictated by NASCAR um, yeah, to limit speed, right. so that so that you so that you um, you you tack out, or you you're you're all the yeah. way to the very your gear limited. Of, yeah, you're gear limited, um, as opposed to aerodynamically limited. Because aerodynamically, I mean, those things probably have a top speed of, you know, with you know with proper gearing, that you probably have a top speed of. I'm guessing probably close to 250, 300 horse or 300 miles per hour. Honestly, I, you know I, I can see it. I mean the bodies are so plastic, right? And the car sits a quarter inch off the surface of the asphalt, and if it's glass smooth, yeah, I can see that kind of thing being being possible. 250, you know, something something Bugatti esque. Sure. Yeah. Um. So. But anyway, so we've kind of gotten away from the engine just for well a little bit away from the engine just for a second, but um. So, displacement. Since you're more of an expert than I am, explain displacement. Because one of the first things that I ever asked you, so I wasn't, I'm sorry, it wasn't you, it was a, it was a coworker, but you were there, was I asked, and this is in 20, mid-2014, I said, how is it that a 4-liter V6 doesn't make as much power as a 4-liter V8? And the answer I got back was, well, do you want six really strong guys pulling on that rope, or do you want eight moderately strong guys pulling on the rope? And the answer is you want eight moderately strong guys right. pulling on the rope. But so let's let's take one engine and let's 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 say you take a V six and you go from three liter to four liter. So what does that mean? How does that change things? What what can you tell the tell me that I don't already know? Okay. Well, or or someone I, who looks like me but isn't as smart as I am. <laughs> um, so the easiest way to explain it is so with so let, let let's first explain the displacement. So displacement is how much volume of air the engine can hold in, in each of its cylinders multiplied by however many cylinders it has. All right, at top to center. Yeah. At, no. How many at, at bottom dead center? So how much air can it hold at bottom dead center in each cylinder times however many cylinders it has? So if you have a three liter engine that a three liter V6, it's three liters of air displacement divided by six. Right. And half liter per yeah, so it's it's half a liter of air, of volumetric air, um, in each cylinder, is 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 what's available, and then of course you have your compression ratio, which squeezes the air and all the blah, blah blah. Anyways, so if you have a a six cylinder that is a three liter, your you're you're having to move. Um, a uh, let's say a three and a half inch uh, piston head. You're having to push it down. I don't know what that actually equates to as far as stroke and stuff like that. Um, well, that's, also, that, that, that that's a variable. So we're going to assume a square cylinder, meaning that the that the diameter of the cylinder and the total uh, length of it are the same. So it's yeah, a one to one. So yeah, so one to one one-to-one and however that calculates from a <clears throat> from a from a three liter if you if you turn that into a v8 you've now taken that volume and spread it out over eight cylinders so what limits the v6 or the larger the piston you get and the larger the connecting rod that has to connect to it, the, the slower it will RPM, the slower it will rev up, um, and the more power loss you're going to get from having to move, physically move metal. 
because that has weight to it. And the, and the transitioning of that weight from up to down to up to down to up to down, you're going to lose some of that efficiency. So if you can make that smaller and lighter, then you can move it faster. And the faster you can move an engine, the more torque it will have. And so torque is really the number that you want, not necessarily horsepower. Because torque is your ability to accelerate versus your ability to sort of maintain the speed. Isn't that sort of the best explanation I've heard? Basically, yeah. Yeah. So horsepower is the, the horsepower is the ability, the actual physical ability of the vehicle, of the engine to do work. And torque is the actual twisting ability. So the actual power power of, of what it is. So like uh, Usain Bolt can run very, very fast, but a weightlifter can actually push more weight with his legs. He's not as fast as Usain Bolt, but he's more powerful than Usain Bolt, if that makes sense. Similar kind of horsepower. So. Yeah, I think so. Anyways, so we, we got to sort of cut this off pretty soon because it's definitely going to require at least a part two, if not a part three. But um, yeah. essentially, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you can manipulate. So let's just take a three liter v6 because it's an it's an easy number people have seen that number thrown around it's a common engine size so if you narrow the cylinder to look more like a water bottle and less like a square you're going to get more torque out of it but less horsepower even though you haven't changed the displacement because yeah. the piston is moving uh, a longer distance which is causing more force more twisting force against the crankshaft well, Ferrari figured this out a long time ago. So all of Ferrari's engines were usually small displacement. Um, I think the largest engine that they had, largest displacement that they had was maybe five liters on a V12. Well, yeah, I mean, for the longest time, they were infamous for the three liter V12. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think even the Bugatti's v W16 is what eight liters well yeah but that's that's just that's a square right it's just a half liter per cylinder no big deal that that's a that's a modern one though that's that's a bigotti made that's the sharon that's the veyron you know if you yeah. go to the eb, EB 110 yeah. it was a six no five five or six liter v12 i can't remember exactly quad turbo yeah yeah so, but what i'm saying is is that you know you don't have i mean you had you know, you've got uh, Ford right now has a 7.3 liter V8. <laughs> so just shy of a full eight liters. Right, right. One liter per cylinder is massive even these days. But, you know, but they even said, like, this is made for towing. For, it's for a really big pickup to tow a really big trailer for a really long distance up a really steep hill. Yeah. Exactly. And they, you know, they gave it not a lot of power, but they said, look, you can run this thing at really high level of strain and it won't create a lot of heat. It'll be super durable. It'll do exactly what you want it to do. It's not going to be fast, but it's not going to yeah. break. Yeah. You know, well, so they I said, think... oh, they got somewhere. Yeah. Well, I think we've kind of exhausted just kind of like the basics of it and stuff. And I think, you know, in the future we can do turbocharging versus supercharging, what that actually means. And then of course, you know, what does, you know, why does a diesel get better? You know, you know, why does a diesel get more torque and power out of itself than, you know, right. than a gasoline and so forth. And, and then also mileage. and more better gas mileage. Um, and then I think we can also get into uh, the mysterious world of Wankel. Mm, for sure. 
for sure. And uh, I also would be a great fun to talk about uh, horsepower per liter and how that's changed over time. And, uh, and also why F1 engines have, uh, have such a short stroke. Also a joke waiting to happen. So yes, yes, it is. Especially those skinny boys who drive them. Yes, it is. All right, Matt. Zach, it's been, a, it's been fun. We will, uh, we'll tuck this up again soon. Good night.